look over the job and let me know if you know what I want. So that he, he goes, oh yeah, I got it. I show up at two o'clock and I'm walking around the basement and I am muttering every four letter word that a good New Yorker would know to myself under my breath. And I drag him out to the truck so the customer is not involved. And I go, this is nothing like what I want. And he goes, well, your brother Richie showed up and said, do it this way. And in that moment of incredible pain, he and I began to talk about things that we had never talked about. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you once again. We travel into the great beyond, Brian. And this time we're focusing on our guest, Al Levy. He is the inventor and extraordinaire of the seven power contractor system. And we're going to be digging in with him about some of those seven items that are critical to being in the contracting business. Before that, we're going to break it down for you. And we start off with our quote, Brian. Plans are of little importance, but planning is essential. Winston Churchill. Ah, well, there's a man who knows about planning. Yeah. I like to watch the uh, infamously around my house. There's nothing I'd rather watch than like World War II in HD or World War II in color. And it's these like 13 to 20 hour long docu-series on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And I'll just... Put one of those on when I have nothing to do, which is increasingly rare. I'm not uh, not a big fan of this new way of life where I don't get a lot of couch <laughs> TV time. But um, I like to just put one of those on like on a Sunday afternoon and <clears throat> just marvel at the scope, if nothing else, the scope of like how big this thing was and the fact that like a general would would map out taking a bridge in you know German occupied France or Poland or whatever, like 18 months later, like they, they would have a strategy session about taking a bridge uh, today that they would be doing like in September of 2022. Yeah, that's crazy. Just, you know, there was no internet or anything. They didn't have like cell phones. It's just ridiculous that, you know, a year later, all these men were marching over this, this bridge and taking it. And the, the just the sheer like magnitude, the size of all this was just incredible to me. And then you think that there were just a handful of key figures who were behind the majority of all this going on, like to, regardless of what side they were on. You know, Winston Churchill is one of those figures. And I like that quote where he talks about um, the plan not being that important, but the strategy uh, session, the planning itself being of the utmost importance because we see it here all the time in, in this business as we make our, our plans for the future. We set our budgets, our goals, things change in an instant and they change in a huge way. 
um, no bigger change than like when direct energy sold the brands to authority brands, the, you know, one hour, Ben Franklin, Mr. Sparky, these, these are massive changes that we have nothing to do with, but it changes everything in in terms of our business, not everything, but it, it makes big changes in our business. But we still have the essential things we're trying to do. All those plans we made might change and onto a new plan. But the idea of getting together and saying, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing quarterly like we do. And then recapping that weekly like we do is it makes, it really makes everything possible. And it was no different than being in a truck and having my goals or, you know, having set out what I was aiming to do. If I'm, you know, say 2022, sitting down with a notepad and a pen or a pencil or whatever and saying, what is 2022 going to look like? Well, here's what I want to make. So here's what I have to make monthly. And here's what it has to break down into over those 52 weeks. Here's what that means per five days of the work week. And you could even break it down to the utter ridiculous and say, here's what, what I have to make an hour. Or the other way where this is what I'm trying to do and say truck revenue, or this is how many water treatment systems or tankless water heaters or IAQ packages I'm trying to move um, panels and whole home surge protectors. But it's, it's not the plan that makes all the difference. It's you sitting down and, and really calming yourself and saying, I have to, I have to make a strategy for the coming year or month or whatever. It really is putting that, putting that plan in place that makes all the difference. And that's what, that's what Winston Churchill was talking about. And that is what the seven power contractor guide is all about. And Al Levy's book. You're absolutely right, Brian, because planning is actually the first power. Um, and you did a really good job of breaking that out for us. The next one is ops, then staffing, sales, sales, coaching, marketing, and finally finance. Yeah, and let's say uh, in particular ops. If you're not in the business, just operations. Yes, sorry. Yeah. How, how does all how does the operation break down as a whole, and then into all of its finer segments? And this translates to any business. There's no business where you don't need to sit down and plan out your strategy for the year, the month, the week, every morning for the day, what have you. It's going to go a lot better for you. I'll talk about a lack of a plan or a strategy <laughs> or at least poor planning. Yeah. What's uh, that quote? Uh, plan or, or be, be planned, planned for, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Yeah. There we go. I like um, one. So my wife and I were fortunate enough to, to, uh, go on a trip to Hawaii two weeks ago. Mm, yes. The phenom- Hawaii trip. Phenomenal trip. Uh, for, for, this reason or that reason, we, we got the correct COVID test um, that Hawaii uh, requires to enter the state of Hawaii from the airport. It was sent to the wrong lab or whatever, what have you. For, for whatever reason, this was not something that they accepted. So <clears throat> we flew. We left our house at 3 o'clock in the morning. Drove to Philly, which is an hour and a half away. Flew to Denver, Colorado. Beautiful place. Cool airport. You know, they remember we got that plane hanging there in this, from the ceiling. <laughs> we were there a few years ago, Nate. Yeah, nice. Um, 
we opened up the app because we still had not even received our results of the COVID test. And we were getting pretty nervous because, you know, my, it's always allergy season for me. My throat's always needing cleared and nose is running. And I'm like, maybe I have COVID again. <clears throat> Didn't have COVID. Thankfully in the airport, we got our, our uh, test results and they were negative. So we get to, we get to the airport in Hawaii. Now I can't remember what the airport is called on Maui, but we stand in this long line with people to get our, um, Hawaii safe travels uh, app checked and come to find out these tests were not sufficient. Yeah. So it it was a sufficient PCR test, they call it, but it was sent to LabCorp, which is one of the biggest labs in the country. But according to Hawaii, not good enough. Oh, yes. I got some words for Hawaii. (laughs) I I was not shy about those words speaking to Hawaiians about their governor and and the mess she created. Neither are they. So anywho, (laughs) not to get bogged down there. So they, they would not accept the test. It wasn't one of their approved labs. So they gave us our three options were to number one, go home. Number two, mind you, this was a whole day of traveling to get there to this point. Number two was to go to our hotel our uh, resort stay there the entire week do not leave that room for any reason they you had to pay for room service you you were for no reason could you leave that room except to go home um or wait nine hours at the airport uh which was not a very nice airport if you've ever been there it's very old outdated and uh in in rough shape um, also you're not allowed inside any of the restaurants if you're unvaccinated. So you could go eat at a restaurant that had outdoor seating and we got rained on for two, two hours while we did and sit there for nine hours waiting for the next flight for five hours back to LAX, uh, fly to Los Angeles, run, run out of the airport and run across the street to a, what looks like a, um, concession stand at uh, the link <laughs> and have somebody slide a window open and swab your nose with a Q-tip and drop it in a little container and test it. And it takes about three hours. Oh my goodness. So we, so we had two options with that flight, fly back the five hours, sit at the airport, get rained on for nine hours, fly back a five hour flight to LAX get swabbed and wait three and a half hours to fly back to Hawaii. Or there was one flight that left 50 minutes after we got to LA. Now, obviously we've never done this. <laughs> we've never run outside of LAX to find some crappy garbage testing site with uh, under an overpass. <laughs> literally. I, I thought I was going to buy drugs. <laughs> I expected to see you there, Nate, to be honest. <laughs> That's that's a pretty far flight for me for that. <laughs> I uh, so we so we said let's roll the dice. I mean, at this point, how could it go worse for us? You know, so right. we we rolled the dice on the five zero fifty minutes from landing to running to find this site to get tested that we've so never seen before. You reenacted Home Alone, absolutely. In the, in the airport. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> we didn't get to see John Candy, unfortunately. Yeah, did you stop and have to get batteries too? So we so we run across the street. We we land and and 
fly. I mean, our feet were on fire when we get there, but it wasn't too hard to find, but LAX is fairly big, so it was a jog. Um, get outside, get swabbed. It's, mind you, $787 we paid for the two flights and another $250 each for these ridiculous nasal swabs that we had done with a physician, and they're having us do it now with some, you know, some, some people under an overpass. It was I, fantastic. I, I get this slight sense, Brian, that there might be a little bit of uh, frustration, mm. maybe. Yeah. I don't want to take it out on our audience, but... We should have a counselor on here. <laughs> we should have Hawaii's governor here. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so we, we, we get it done. We had to stand in line. So, you, you know, we're just watching the seconds tick off the clock. Tick, tick, tick. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Come on. Get swabbed. Lady's like... Yeah, it's usually like three to five hours it takes, and 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 you know it, you'll it'll get emailed your results to you. At this point, we're we're very used to tension, so it's like whatever. And so much time has passed; it's now way late into the next day. We're unshowered. We bought disposable toothbrush in the airport to just get just get our teeth brushed, but we're just we're not feeling it. You know, you know how my knee gets stiff sitting in one place, buddy. Right. Um, a lot of flying, ran through all the movies I had downloaded on the iPad, you know, just we're getting a little frustrated at this point. So we run back. We made it with eight minutes to spare. We touched down in wow. Hawaii. Uh, actually, we weren't even landed yet. I'm going to be honest here. I turned my phone on before we landed. Oh. Off airplane mode. Lucky we, you survived. We didn't crash, amazingly. Yeah. Uh, we, tur- we turned our phones on, got the emails. We're both negative, thankfully. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. We... Uh, Got in, waited in another line to show everybody that we were negative. Here's here's the fun part. Get to our resort and uh, get our first text from the government of Hawaii saying that uh, now is the time to check into your quarantine to say, state that you have not left your room like you're not supposed to. Oh, my word. So sent an email, made a phone call, couldn't get anywhere, went, went and ate. Just didn't go see anybody. Like we just went and ate, came back to the room, watched the Michigan game, as it were. Good game. Um, oh, also that night got to watch Alabama lose, so that was, that was good too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all all week until the day before the last day, we got phone calls from the state of Hawaii asking us if we were quarantining and uh, threatening us with, with what was going to happen if we left our room. Crazy. Even though I talked to people, actually spoke to people on the phone, and they said, just do this and send this email, and you're fine. Sent the email, and they said the phone calls and the text would stop. Phone calls and texts never stopped. Yeah, got got a funny text from a buddy of mine who we, we met, sorry, a, a person we met out there who became a buddy who was also visiting, who lives in uh, Utah. Shout out to uh, Brandon Duncan, yeah. Brandon and Michelle. Um, hey, it was, I don't know, like three days after we left. Hey, hopefully you're not getting this in a jail in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, the Waste No Day podcast is going to have to go to a solo hosting show here shortly. Almost, uh, man. Almost had to do a year and... Wanted uh, felon. Dude, as crappy <laughs> and horrific as that airport is, I can't even imagine what their jail looks like. <laughs> it's got to be awesome. So oh, it was man. great, though. We left there and flew into San Fran, and I had never been to San Francisco Unfortunately, our layover didn't allow us time to to get out and go visit. Although I heard 
it's in kind of rough shape right now, but uh, airport, beautiful airport in San Fran. Oh man, Brian, I feel for you. Just here, like I heard parts and, and pieces of that story earlier and man, it just, it, it doesn't get any better. And you know what, like 50 years from now, when some archaeologist is digging up old episodes of this podcast, because, you know, they will be looking for that, of Obviously. course, uh, they're going to listen to this and be just like, what? What is wrong with that place? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so crazy. But hey, that's an example how, of how even the best laid plans. Still... It wasn't the best laid plan. Well, you tried, man. You, we had, we you tried, had everything laid like, out. I, I kind of just, just flippantly handed this off to the doc. And um, probably could have been more detail oriented in in my handing it over. The doctor certainly could have been more detail oriented in knowing what exactly Hawaii uh, required. Um, in both cases, I, th- I feel like there is some fault in in both places there that we we both should have known better, tried harder, and and been more uh, sure. The plan should have been laid much better. Well, and that's why the second power is operations, right? Oof, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's not just the plan, it's the execution of the plan. Yep. I think you actually had a good plan because you were you were you did the due diligence, you did all the YouTube research about you know what you needed and how the island that you had never been to before was going to react and you had that all set up, it's just the execution of the plan. That's the point. Hey, the best part? They knew we weren't vaccinated and didn't have the quote-unquote proper COVID test. Still let us roam around the airport with crowds of people for nine <laughs> hours. People that were coming into the airport with their proper test. Yeah. Do that math. Yeah. Governor of Hawaii. I I, I, I I get it. I get it. <laughs> I think you're upset. <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. I'm just picking on them, right? For no reason. Well, it's that type of planning, operations, and more that we're going to be talking about with our guest today. His name is Al Levy, and we are going to bring him on and put him in your passenger seat right now. Our guest today is Al Levy. He teaches the contractors how to run their businesses with less stress and more success. With a seven-power contractor system, And he shows how this benefits their customers, their company, their staff, and of course, themselves. With that, we're excited to have you on. Welcome to the show, Al. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. And for you guys, the text in the truck, don't stop this recording. (laughs) I want to share with you, like, you know, they just went through about owners. and like, uh, really? I don't care. So what I'm going to share with you is um, you're going to care a lot. And because the reason I share that is, my dad, as I was sharing with these guys, was my dad was a firm believer. I'm, I was the third generation arriving at our plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical shop on uh, Long Island, New York. If you know where JFK Air, Airport is, we were very close to that. Oh, nice. Is that my dad was a firm believer that I should never ask anybody to do anything that I hadn't done myself. And I will share with you, when I was a young man, I really hated that. <laughs> but... <laughs> Pretty soon as I got a little bit older, I realized, yeah, that's pretty brilliant. And here's what this means to you, the guys in the truck. When I was, you know, recruiting and hiring, orienting, training, retaining, which is what I talk about in staffing power to your owners, is that if I wasn't going to go on the roof in freezing cold weather to fix the heating system or broiling hot, you don't have to go. But if I'm going up that ladder, you better be coming with me. And so that's kind of the essence of, you know, I, I preach from, both sides here. I have been both. I have been a tech. And it was, by the way, 
the company was not small. We were about 17, 18 million. And we did a lot of different things at this point, but it wasn't like I never ran calls right to the very end of when I was working there at my, at my own business before I went off to do this consulting and to take these systems out to other people is that, you know, cause I just wanted to stay sharp and stay in the, you know, in the game to a certain point, but I was the last guy, not the first guy running out to do this stuff. And so that's what I'm going to share with you today about why you should care about these things and how does it affect you? Love it. I got to ask Al, uh, I noticed that there seems to be an absence of accent. What's up with that? You know, that's, thank you for saying that. Um, because one day I was horrified. Uh, my daughter discovered the video. Yes, this goes back to when you had like a big video camera that's on your phone. Mm -hmm. And so she found these things and she plugged it in because she had pumped them over to a DVD. And this is what I sounded like. Hey, you, you, move over. Move over. You're not in a picture. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And, yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, I will trip into to words. Like one of the favorite ones is when I say water, right. W-A-D-D-E-R. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I've worked hard to, uh, when I first did uh, speaking engagements, I would look out in the audience and I'd watch people talking to one another. <laughs> so I would move over and I'd go like, what's going on? And go, well, first of all, you talk way too fast and we can't understand you. And so... I had to work really hard to uh, try my best to the act. I live, by the way, in Arizona these days, so that probably helps a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now with my uh, friends that go, hey, how you doing? <laughs> are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, well done, Al. I I'm sure people appreciated you selling them water water heaters. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, breast milk is put a water. <laughs> nice. Well, Al, we'd like to introduce our guests uh, by getting to know them a little bit and understanding what exactly got you into this industry. So sounds like you had some family connections there. Why don't you start us from the the uh, beginning and get us to today? Yeah. So for some, you know, out there in the family business cycle is um, by the time I was eight, I was cleaning toilets and helping out on jobs. And my dad and my uncle were the uh, really started this out of my grandfather's gas station back in 1936. And so uh, by the time I arrived, it was already a company in here. But, you know, we were just like, hurry up, get to work, do something. Uh, the money will follow, which in our case was pretty good, but it was pretty crazy. Uh, every day was like a fire drill. You know, we were busy putting out yesterday's fire because we didn't really handle it right. But we were always in fire fighting mode, never in fire prevention. And that was stressful on you, you guys in the trucks, the techs. And it was stressful on us. And we were really great at pointing fingers at each other. I'm sure that doesn't happen to the companies where you guys are all working, but that's what happened at my company once they finally took off the rose-colored glasses and saw what was going on. And so this really was the journey, if you will, um, between myself and my staff. And just really the first best thing that we did was begin to look at things from the customer's perspective. And because what I, I teach is that it has to be good for the customer first and foremost for it to be good for the company second, for it to be good for all of you, the staff members out there. And so that ultimately we all win because it can't be anything other than a win, win, win. <laughs> but that's a really easy thing to say. And uh, you know, the reason I got good at all these systems was because my team was really good at blowing up my really good sales and marketing. Right. And so <laughs> I had to backtrack. and. To the credit of my, you know, my, my staff there, because we were a union shop and 
it could have been easily, you know, New York City Union pretty tough, but we recognized that we were going off a cliff and both of us decided, you know, we don't want to do that. And so we came together and we created a, a systematized way of doing business. Now, it's not everything, but it's 80%. And the 80% versus the 20 weird is what you need to master. And so what this really means to uh, the best example of it, where this really came home, and it was a series of events. I had trained uh, this guy and uh, he was flipping pizzas when I met him. And he became one of our top installers. So I was one of my many, many, many jobs. I was an install manager. And yes, just a long time ago, I opened up the window and slid the paperwork out to this fellow. And I said, you know, I can't get there at 10 o'clock today, but I can get there at two. Look over the job and let me know if you know what I want for the heat. He goes, oh yeah, I got it. I show up at two o'clock and I'm walking around the basement and I am muttering every four letter word that a good New Yorker would know to myself under my breath. And I drag him out to the truck so the customer is not involved. And I go, this is nothing like what I want. And he goes, well, your brother Richie showed up and said, do it this way. And in that moment of incredible pain, he and I began to talk about things that we had never talked about. Mm. He felt that I used to lay awake at night figuring out how to ruin his day. And I told him, I thought you laid awake all night long trying to figure out how to ruin my day. And now the customer is having a bad day. The company's having a bad day. This guy's having a bad day. I'm having a bad day. Now we can either make each other's day or we can break each other's day. And to the credit of my staff, they got on board here. One of the most frustrating things as a, an employee and also as owners is when it's left to people's opinion about what you want. Are you a mind reader? Do you know what I want? Because some days I'm not sure what I want. So we had to create the operating manuals to put it in writing to, you know, get it to buy in. We also began to realize that, well, you know, what? We're, just because we're boxes on an org chart, we don't know what goes on every place else. The brilliance of my service manager, by the way, my service manager was kind of like a drill sergeant. And he had full permission to abuse me and my brother Richie <laughs> by my dad. And so... um you know, he really came to, one day I was, by the way, Long Island is where I was. So it's a, they named it right. It's 115 miles tip to tip. They send me out, stick out your right hand as far as you can go. And I'm out there doing a call. And I was one of the top two techs, number one tech back then. And probably still to today is my brother, Richard. He's got hands of gold. Anyway, so I'm out there. I fixed that call. And they took out your left hand. And they sent me through New York traffic all the way to the other side of our service area. And when I get done guess what? They send me all the way back to wherever your right hand can reach out to. So I made the mistake of coming back and telling the service manager, I go, try not to laugh at this. Don't the people in dispatch have a map? Now, of course, they have GPS. <laughs> and he goes, you know what? You're so smart. Guess who's the dispatcher tomorrow? And I sat at the dispatcher desk for the first time in my entire life. Nice. And what I realized at that point was that I didn't realize when they sent me to the right, it was because back then before, you know, Google would do, it was a better business bureau. They had so many calls there that if I didn't fix this problem, this lady was going to make my life miserable. And then they sent me to the other side of the service area to where all these big apartment houses. Unfortunately, at that point, before the manuals and training, Richie and I were the only two that were really equipped to handle jobs like that, even though we had a staff of 25 techs at this point. <laughs> the other bad stuff is 
Guess who went to all the best and top training? Well, idiot, Al and Richie. <laughs> so when they didn't know, we blamed them. But of course it was us. And later on, we, we got more enlightened. And then they sent me back to the mill. So what this fellow, the service manager, Tommy, trained us later on was to walk a mile in another person's shoes. So if you guys are techs out there and you're upset that you're sitting in your truck killing time when you could go working, well, when you walk in the office and you're walking around anywhere you can, talking to the CSRs and dispatchers, you are actually hurting yourself. And so when we work at shops and we put up a design to, to stop the text at the dispatch window, it's not a first class, second class thing. They have to focus on what they need to do so you don't have wasted time and better communication. So I always talk about the triangle of communication, which is the CSR needs to be trained on how to answer the phone correctly, build all the momentum like a happy hostess in a restaurant, capture all the information and make life known that when Al the great tech gets there, life's going to be good and how we operate. Otherwise, when I do get there, I've got to start with, we get paid at time of service today and, you know, I'm going to go around, the, how, you know, all these things that I need to do. And then the dispatcher needs to be working with the service manager to maximize billable hours during the course of the day and get all the information out to me as a tech. And now, yes, we have great software and technology, but that said, there are still hiccups. And as a tech, I need to know what I need to do from the time I woke up this morning to the time I go to bed, other than the actual plumbing, heating, cooling, electric, roofing, kitchen cabinetry. I worked with trades all over the place, things that I never did. It's all more alike than unalike. And then you, the tech, have to get all the information back to the dispatcher to close that loop up. Customers freak out when you drop the ball on on follow-up, which may seem like a pain to you, but that is a big issue. And we were just having enormous callback situations. So the other thing that I always talk about, and this is another thing that try not to cross your eyes because you're driving. <laughs> but when I talk about the right size org chat, I'm talking about flat boxes, not multiple like CIO, CEO, CTO, CFO, the alphabet soup. It's really the boxes it takes to run your company. And so why would you, the tech, care about that org chart? I'm going to give you the four reasons that you should care about a well-constructed org chart. One is, where are you today on that org chart? Number two is, where can I go with that company tomorrow? Because if they're offering you a career, not a job, yeah, I want to know. And what are you going to do to help me get, climb that org chart, if you will? The third is, Everybody at this shop yells at me. So who really is my boss? And then the fourth thing is, if I legitimately need help and I can't find the resource, I don't have manual, I don't have a training center, I don't have all these other things that I advocate, who can I go to for help? That is why you, the tech, should fall in love with a well-constructed org chart. Make sense? Love it. So let's jump in right there, Al. Um, so we have, like, like you've astutely put, we have a lot of listeners on the road who are, you know, they're, they're on the front lines. Um, I'm sure we have some managers and owners listening too, but the general, the general point of this podcast is to be speaking to the frontline people. And at some point, you know, I, I think the question runs through everybody's head. Is this it? Like, is, is this what I'm doing for the next 30 yeah. years? So let's dig into that org chart and exactly why that matters and what it means. Yeah, so in my org chart, again, I, you, you're going to have to visualize this, although uh, I'm happy to share the org chart if you uh, 
uh, set up that you want to, you know, get a copy of it. Awesome. It's easy enough to do that. Uh, and you guys can, Brian, you guys can just, Nate, Nate, just let me know and we'll figure out a way to, to get that to you. But the reason, because it's, it, my thing is, I believe it, that a, a well-structured company, kind of like a house, because I think like a tech, is, you know, when I would show up at somebody's house and they want to talk to me about their master bedroom and their master bath and all these other things, and I go, great, I need to start in the basement, which is, yes, if you live in the East Coast, basements are a, a plenty. But where I live in Arizona today, we don't have those. Anyway, so they go, well, I want to talk about that. I go, yeah, but if I don't go to the basement, we don't know what this can support. So I have to think about the foundation first. So in the case of work chart, the strength of a really well-constructed org chart and organization is, is the people at the bottom of the org chart are empowered to fill their box that they have today. Now, in my particular case, we had manuals for all those boxes. So that you had a brief, again, 80% of what goes on, not the 20 weird that you run into. And it's written to be objective. And people who occupy those boxes get to get their fingerprints on it. They don't get to hijack the process, which is a big, long story about how to do that. But ultimately, I would start as an apprentice, work my way up to a junior tech, work my way up to a senior tech. And if the company gets big enough, work my way up to a field supervisor. And if the company is in need of a service manager, and in my case, I had one main hub shop and I had three spokes on Long Island because drive time was so big of an issue. And so we sent the field supervisor off to run those shops, which people call branch managers. And so that really is the beauty of having this career path. Ultimately, I have a quick story to share. Is So I was a, a tech, I think I was about 38, maybe. I was 38 years old and I had a no heat call to run. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, lucky me. I'm getting to run another no heat call. What would I be thinking? And I thought to myself, if I was not me, the owner's kid, you know, if I was a tech, what would I do? And here's what I would think I would do is I would just go get a white truck. I would sell it for five bucks an hour or less. I'm going to make a ton of money. Here's the sad fact to that is that nine out of 10 people will go broke in that process. Now, that doesn't mean that it's you. So if you're listening out there and not here to dampen dreams, but there's a lot more that people don't know, which is why I preach on about these seven powers, planning, operations, staffing, sales, sales, coaching, marketing, and finance. There's much more to it than just doing the work, to just being a tech. So can you help us understand then, like, put this in perspective, what, what should I be focusing on now if I'm in a truck? If you're in a truck, so let's use it as a tech, service tech. I call tech the same thing for both service techs and installers, but let me define the difference. A service tech goes to a job, looks it over, makes good recommendations, and sells the job to the customer and gets their okay to do the work, and they do the work while they're there. So that's what I define as service. Install is somebody else went out, scoped the job. Hopefully, they figured out projected material, projected labor, gross profit took all the figures and everything they need to do so that they can transmit that to me in one way or another, preferably in meetings, where I know what I'm going to encounter is how much time I have, how much material, and what do I need to do to, to use my install exit checklist so I can bring this job in on, on time on budget. And so that's typically one day or more is what I define as install work. Yeah, that's really kind of the, the two wings. So there's a service wing, 
and then there's an install link. So I'm going to share with you service text and please don't reach out to me and be upset, but you are not the boss of the dispatcher in my scenario. And guess what? The dispatcher is not the boss of you. You guys need to work together, but ultimately, based on the org chart, the service manager is in charge of both of those wings. And so when the dispatcher has a problem with you, the tech and the truck, their job is to make sure that the service manager is aware of it. By the same token, if a dispatcher is overly abusive, you as techs have the right to reach up to the service manager to make them aware of it. And then the service manager needs to bring you together as a team to work through these things. Certainly. And, and the way we put it here would be your manager would be the coach um, and yep. everybody yep. plays for the same team. But, but a dispatcher is at least the quarterback and your yeah. technicians are different different uh, players on the field. Quarterback still kind of deciding who that ball is going to on this play, uh, certainly by being coached by the manager. Yes, and well, part of the thing, too, is when we brought everybody together and created this triangle of communication with CSR <clears throat> to dispatcher to tech and back was they all have the same priority section. So we're all thinking the same. So we have a priority for plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical calls, as an example. And it's not my opinion about the priority. It's what we all agree to. That's what makes the difference. Okay, so what other aspects of the org chart should we be focusing on? Um, you know, again, if they're moving up and you, you know, the, the goal of this was, again, as I was a tech, is I had crews on, this was, a, again, we did residential, commercial, industrial. So... We had crews not on call, 7 to 4 a.m., 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., 10, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., 2 to 11, and 5 to 2 in the dead of winter. Those were on call, and we had four guys out there, but we had nobody quarterbacking that team because there were four guys running these crews and the ship. And so um, ultimately, that's when we created the, the supervisor. And the way we created the supervisor is the way, yeah, I'm prejudiced because we did it wrong where we used to just appoint people. And then that just left to a lot of bitter feelings. But it wasn't even really good because just because you're a great tech doesn't mean that you're going to be a great supervisor. You need to be trained. We weren't born managers. And so the senior tech to field supervisor is a program within staffing power that really kind of covers this because there are things that you need to know and do. And of course, yeah, there's a manual for that as well. But you as a tech today, your job, if you're a service tech, is to get great at communication. Yes, that leads to great sales. To be great at operations, which means you are dressed neat and clean. Your truck is neat and clean and well-stocked. The job site is neat and clean. And then you get excellent reviews from the customer. You are then beginning to earn your way towards the next box up. If you are an installer, you are great at communications with the customer. You are neat and clean. Your truck is neat and clean. The job site is neat and clean. You fill out the install exit checklist, and you make sure that the customer is set up to give us a great testimonial. That's how you are beginning to show that you own this box and are ready to come to our next level of training to continue to move you up and make good on what we promised you, which is a career, not a job. All right, so Al, you are the creator of the 7X uh, contractor system. 
walk us through what those seven items are, and then let's let's pick a couple to focus on today. So, you, your your owners, and I'm talking to you as techs. I bet you are as excited as my people were when I would go off to a convention or a meeting and talk to really bright people all around the country and come back with a thousand great ideas. No, you were not. You know, it was like, <laughs> well, what happened to the old ideas that we were halfway doing? So what I teach owners in planning is to create a master project list to think of the top of a funnel. So that's where all the great ideas that owners get should go to. And then it works its way down that funnel by either fixing the biggest problem or challenge or greatest chance to grow and be profitable to end up at a top 30, which is what the owners and managers should be working on in a year. That said, they cannot work on 30 projects effectively. So what I teach owners is to then boil it down one more time with the same strainer, uh, fix the biggest problem or challenge or greatest chance to grow and be profitable to get to a top five. And no matter how busy any owner or management team is, if you said these five are going to fix the biggest problem or challenge, the greatest chance to grow and be profitable, a piece of your week has to be dedicated to making that come to fruition. So what I make owners do that works with me, one-to-one, um, this is old school, but I, it, to this day, it's still the truth, is I made them put up a whiteboard, top five, three columns. What is it that we want with five projects? Then in the middle is, why do we want those? And then the last one is the tricky one, is the status. Because if the employees, you guys, are seeing no progress in status, it's easy to think, well, same as always, right? So there's, a, there's this, uh, Ellen Rohr, who's a co-consultant, great financial person with me for years. She goes, you know, if one of us lets go of the rope, we both fall down. And so that's kind of the essence of what planning power is. The goal is to be working on the right project at the right time in the right way. Operating power is all about documenting your policies and procedures, a lot of what I've already spoken to here, for each of the boxes on the org chart. And then staffing power is really two phases. <clears throat> One I call apprentice to junior tech, and that is taking, you know, willing people, uh, providing the skills for every position on the org chart, or taking experienced people and giving them a career opportunity, which is in the second phase, senior tech to field supervisor in particular, to be able to fill those and move on. Sales power is really my system, like all systems, in mind with five steps. Some are eight steps, some are 10 steps. Hopefully it's not a 500 step sales process because that's really hard to repeat. But ultimately, you know, the five step process that I taught was really about how to arrive at the job right, how to proceed through the job right, how to make a customer happy. And when I would do sales power with customers, the first thing I would say once I had everybody, all the techs in the room with me is, yeah, I call the sales power so that your boss would buy it, but it's really client satisfaction power because here's what I can tell you. If you do all of this, you're going to get more great reviews than you can possibly do. And yes, it will lead to more sales. So everyone's going to be happy starting with the customer first. Then sales coaching is, you know, would you play basketball and never be coached? Would you play golf and never take a lesson? So sales coaching is really about reinforcing the steps that you created in your sales system and the sales coaching. You know, what did I do good? What could I do better? Where did I fall down? How do I fix that? And then marketing is really, if the phone doesn't ring, all of us are really out of a job. <laughs> Let's just True. get to it. So the marketing really, the goal of marketing power is really to 
get the right amount of calls from the right customer at the right time. That's what marketing power is about. And then financial power is you could do everything I just spouted out and then not charge enough for the work you're doing. And your company is going out of business. So we need a top line revenue and we need gross profit or there's no, actually what I always preach about this is whose best interest is it that you charge the right price? And the answer is always the customer. Because it doesn't matter how good your warranty is. If you're and your company are out of business, then your warranty is worthless. So you've got to be able to charge enough to do the job right, to have the systems in place, to do all the things that it takes, to be able to answer them on their schedule and do the work. That's what financial power is. And what I didn't know years ago until I, you know, got the forerunner of Nexar was where I really got the financial blinders pulled off is we mistakenly thought, well, if we buy this part and cost this much for the tech labor, all of it's gross profit. Well, we didn't think about, you know, what it takes to make the phone ring. We didn't think about the heating, cooling, lighting that it takes in the office. We didn't think about the truck insurance. We didn't think any of those things. So don't think that your owners are charging too much or taking advantage of customers because you may not know all of what it takes to be built into that price. And that is something that I stress very much at every company that I've ever, I've ever worked at is that if I was a tech, I want to know if I'm getting paid $50 an hour just to pick a number and you're charging $350, I'm thinking there's $300 going in your pocket. And if you were a tech and not an owner, you'd be thinking the same thing. People need to know why we need to charge what we need to charge. That's a great list there, Al. So looking at those things again, we have planning, ops, staffing, sales, sales coaching, marketing, and finance. So I'm a technician, plumber, electrician in the truck. I'm driving around. I'm saying, this is good stuff, Al. You know, I, I might be interested in this 10 years from now, but I'm not there yet. What should I be? Why does this matter to me right now? Well, if you're in a company where you have a career opportunity. So at my company, I realized pretty quick, it was the same conversation if I was going to go out, you know, as a tech, tired of running calls and think I'll just become a boss. I realized I was going to suffer a brain drain at my own company where people were just going to leave and they were going to hurt themselves and I would be out of these good people or they would come to work and just bring me their body, but not their heart and soul. And so we created this senior tech to field supervisor program. So they had a path up. So they could basically run their own business at our company, but with our systems, with our rules, with our structure, if you follow all. And then we had the back office support, obviously, for accounts, receivable accounts, payable, all the things that as a tech you don't, that you need to take into account before you take that giant lead. All right. So what are some other things that we should be focusing on right now for techs in the truck? So if you're a service tech, that means, again, you're going through the house, uh, looking over the job, making good recommendations, getting the customer to agree to what you want to do for their benefit. That's what you need to really excel at. And I'd say it's sales operation technical. If you're an installer and someone else sold the job, and now your job is to focus on making sure that the customer is in the loop, great communication skills, neat and clean, you, your truck, and the job site, follow the install exit checklist, do all the steps that need to do to earn your way up the, uh, the org chart, if you will. 
those are the most important things to focus on, in my opinion, as a tech, because at my company, that's how you were demonstrating you were ready to go to our next level training. The, the pursuit of kind of the next level is always a good thing. And we would 100% agree with you there, whether you're choosing to grow in an organization or choosing to grow out of one, meaning like you're looking to start your own thing. Either way, you want to be setting yourself up for success. And, and that's definitely something to be focused on, um, regardless of what role or what chair you sit in, right? Yes, it's true. And, you know, part of this thing is a great habit to develop no matter what path you take at this point. Um, the great line is uh, leaders are readers. Well, you know, I, I was, what I would say that my difference between me and many of the people that, as far as my success as a tech and, as you know, rising up to become uh, known as an ace troubleshooter because that's what I was. And that's not my name for myself. That was my uh, friend in the industry who was an industry writer gave me. Basically, I was a good problem solver. And in great tech, you are a great problem solver. And so that leads you to other great skills that carry you on in your life, whether it's at home or at work or whatever you choose to do, is to kind of taking these great, honing these kind of skills. So one of the things is to become a great reader. And one of the reasons I was great is because I would read those technical manuals that everybody else didn't want to bother. And the only time they would take the technical manual out was when they had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a little late, but better than ever, you know, to do it than never. So get in the good habit of dedicating some reading. So I will share a story. Um, I was very lucky. My, my dad had me with some of the best industry people out there. And there was this guy who was famous in the Northeast for, you know, his skills at, uh, you know, big, big commercial jobs. And uh, he said to me, he said, if you are willing to read 10 hours a week, you will become an expert. And I said to him, well, I don't have 10 hours. You know, I'm young, I'm married, I'm going to school, and I got work to do, and I got stuff up. He goes, how many hours a night do you watch television? Well, that's not so fair. I'm going to push it. I'm going to push back right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, nowadays it's streaming, but you know, the, you know, follow the reality. So I was busted really quick. And so he says, all right, don't have to give me 10 hours. Give me five hours. Five hours a week where you are dedicated to reading. And it really changed my life. It changed even my vision of myself. I don't know if that makes sense, but my self-esteem began to rise. And magically, when my self-esteem began to rise, I was better at sales. I was better as an owner. I was better at everything, better as a dad. So reading and being selective about what you're reading, that's moving you ahead that's making you really great at what you're doing today and sets you up for things to come in the future. One 100%. book that I read, yeah, one book that I read every day, and this isn't meant to be anything, you know, is um, I really, you know, like about reading something that inspires you every day. And so, uh, you know, that's really kind of, even if it's a paragraph, but it just sets the tone for the day. It's very funny. My, my daughter, um, grown up at this point but you know she told myself and my wife years ago she goes make your bed every day and I, I know now it's in uh, one of the it's become a popular concept but back then it wasn't and she goes make your bed every day because you have one thing in the win column at the very beginning of your day and it's amazing <laughs> what that one small thing does to get your mood in the right spot you know and I'm then so again reading like one thing so Get yourself to the right spot.
spot mentally makes a monstrous difference. Yeah, it's anything, when I was anything owner, you can do first thing in the morning to just get to, to get it's literally a W under your belt. It's just to get a win. And, um, you know, some, some of us in the trades, probably most of us in the trades, I would say, get up and get ready and leave for work while there's still somebody in the bed. So making, making the bed isn't necessarily uh, <laughs> possible, although it's, or you can, it's just going to get messed up again here in a few minutes, but, uh, getting a workout, get, getting your reading yeah. in, getting a prayer in, getting whatever yeah. it is, there's got to, there really needs to be something that we do before we, get in that uh, truck or get our boots on or, you know, get in. Yeah. And, and my dad, my day. dad was actually, yeah, my dad was actually a good example. He used to get up early, you know, to work as all contracts too, but he would actually get to the breakfast table and sit there for a while. And I go, what are you up to? He goes, my day is going to be hectic. This is my time to get my head right. <laughs> and this is long, long before, you know, uh, you know, things are available to tell you that. He just intuitively knew that he's got to get himself in the right frame of mind before he begins his day. Sure. Yeah. Got to, got to get your own locker room meeting on. Meet with Yeah. Even getting dressed right. Even getting dressed right, which, you know, I've talked to owners and I talk to techs all the time about it is, you know, I didn't want to get dressed up, but ultimately because, well, I'm going to do a dirty job. Well, that's not how you should approach things. And actually we raised our level of dress standards for everybody. Because it wasn't for, yes, you're thinking it's for the customer and, and for, and yes, it is. But ultimately getting dressed right at a higher level, if you will, is for you, 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 every one of you listening to this, getting dressed right, taking pride in your appearance, taking pride in your truck is enormous, enormous benefit for you today and anything further you want to do down the road. When a uh, great line was told years ago is when all else fails, clean up. <laughs> and so, yeah, taking the time to clean up, you know, there were times on jobs or in the middle of the job and we're thinking we're going to wait till the end. But part of the thing was happening is in the middle of the job, we were like, where is the thing? We're throwing boxes over our shelves to try and dig through. And so that really was a big thing. I will, I can I, do I have time to share a quick story. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my, my service manager, I was mentioning Tommy, um, he wasn't particularly proud of what was going on in my install work, which didn't do a lot of, but I did enough of. He goes, I'm going to be your helper today, which was frankly very frightening. So I open up the door. I'm going running downstairs to the basement. He goes, whoa, 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 where are you going? I go, well, I'm going to go down, you know, take some boxes down with you on those trips. Don't make wasted trips. I'm going down through the place. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm going downstairs. He goes, you haven't put down and covered the floor. Mm. We're just going to track stuff up in here. Get down to the basement, and I'm beginning to put stuff down. He goes, you haven't put cardboard down to protect the floor, let alone to keep all this stuff straight. So he was teaching me lessons. And really the biggest lesson, not just about install, is doing the front-end work saves a lot of back-end work. So I have to look at my watch. Because <laughs> I was thinking this is going to take a lot of time, and he goes, don't do that. And he teaches me again to do it. He goes, okay. The next time you look at your watch, you won't have a wrist to put it on. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. He goes, you can look at your watch at the end of the day. So I get to the end of the day. He had me tag all the wires, tag everything, stuff I never did, right? I was just busy with a sawzall. You know what? I liked the sawzall. Cut the stuff was a lot of fun, right? 
but I never knew what I had cut or where it was supposed to go because I didn't bother tagging it. I'm, I'm not telling you I was right, <laughs> but I did get a lot smarter <laughs> as I went. At the end of this, I get to the job, I'm, I'm cleaning up the area, and he goes, okay, now you can look at your watch. And here's the end of the story. I had done this job better than I had ever done, and it was an hour and 30 minutes less than I had ever done it, ever. Hmm. So I bet that left, so, that left a lasting impression with you, obviously. It has, and it, it actually changed my whole thing. Is He had a great line, and I do have to be really careful. So he said, don't put your butt in gear until your head is moved first. And what he meant was your mind needs to move first before you get busy doing stuff. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just so get in there and get it done that I didn't have a plan. I didn't think one step ahead. I didn't do all the proactive things I should have been doing. Well, uh, that's fantastic stuff there, Al. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, if some of our listeners would like to learn more about you and the 7X contractor system, where is the best place to find that information? The best place is uh, the number seven powercontractor.com. I've got a lot of stuff on that site there, you know, blogs and stories about that. And, and I do have a chat function if you just want to reach out and email me. That, that's also, you know, something that I save myself myself available to. So, yeah. Awesome. That's the best way to do it. Awesome. Uh, well, any closing thoughts for us, Al, as you have done trainings and, and kind of been around the industry for a long time, we always like to ask the question, like, wh what do you have for the, the people in the trades right now and the people considering it? Like, you know, what should we be looking at and, and what kind of words of wisdom do you have to speak? For you guys who are already in the truck, take pride in everything you do. Whether anybody notices it or not, it's for you. First and foremost, it's for you. Hopefully, people will notice, and hopefully you will have an opportunity to climb in the organization that you're with, or whatever else that you need to do. But that is my clarion message. My other message to you is, sometimes we're so busy with the work, we forget why we do the work. So when I close sales power, and I used to because I don't do it anymore, when I close sales power, I would just say to these guys, don't forget what we do. If we do plumbing and drain, we keep good water from bad water. We keep people from freezing to death literally in their house. Or if they're in Phoenix without air conditioning, it's a life or death situation. So have your head up, your chest out, and feel good about yourself. It serves everybody best. Good words to close on there, Al. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. We have appreciated our time with you. My pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed our podcast today with Al Levy. He is uh, a, a good thinker and has brought some perspective into not only his own organization, but across the country as he does consulting and continues to develop more of that seven power contractor system. Uh, like you like he said, if you'd like to learn more about him, make sure you check out his website there. And for those of you who uh, were inspired by some of the things that he talked about today, there's far more into it. We only touched on the surface of these things. So there's plenty of information and resources there for your development. As we continue to challenge you to do every single week, we want to help you get better. 
whether it's in one of those seven areas that Al talked about today, or whether it's in just getting better as a technician overall, there is so much improvement to be done and so many places to do it in. Thanks so much for being a listener. Give us a five-star review if you're appreciating the content and what we're bringing to you every week. If you have an idea for something or a topic that you'd like to hear, hit us up in the comments section and let us know. We'd sure be interested in talking more about that. We challenge you and to get better, and we also challenge you like we do every single week to choose to wake up tomorrow morning and waste no day. 